you're having, um, you're not having a surgery. Well, with a cesarean, you're having a surgery, but it's like you're doing a huge number to your body. And so the best thing to do is, you know, you take care of your baby and let us take care of you. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all of the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Ashley Denoy, owner of Bodyworks Women's Health and Wellness, about pelvic floor therapy during a pregnancy and postpartum. Hi and welcome. So I'm super excited to have you here and just listen to what you have to tell us and what we can learn about. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me here. I'm really honored that you asked me to and excited to chat more. Yeah. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do, some fun things, you know, like uh, give us some information to help us uh, get to know you better. Okay. So my husband and I moved here to Greenville, South Carolina three and a half years ago, and he started working remotely and I'm a doctor of physical therapist, therapy, so I could move wherever we really wanted to. So we had been to Greenville a few times and we just decided, let's go ahead and check it out. So we moved here and um, about eight months later, well, about six months later, I was working at an outpatient orthopedic rehab setting and I was pregnant with my third. And we have two, um, right now we have two boys and a daughter and they are seven and a half almost five, a boy, boy, and Willow is two and a half. And so we moved here and I was pregnant at the time. And I had just had a couple instances with my pregnancy, just having uh, low back pain and some other things going on. And, um, and things I just didn't know weren't really normal. I thought that they were normal, but, um, even being a, physical therapist, I just didn't really know that, that some of the things I was experiencing, um, weren't normal. So anyways, um, we came here and I just really saw that there was a large birth community and just really loved what I saw. And I learned more about, um, just about birth and how things, how, how things can be better. And so I decided that I wanted to learn more about women's health. And so after going to a few continuing education courses and learning some more things, I decided to go ahead and start my own business and just that was really focused on women's health. And I just wanted to educate and empower women and let them know that there are things that they can do to have a better pregnancy and better postpartum experience. And so um, we can talk uh, more about that a little bit later. But so, like I said, we moved here three and a half years ago and we absolutely love it. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I have heard so many people like we had a very similar story coming to Greenville. It was kind of like 
we had just gotten married and we were like, where do we want to go? What do we want to do? And I just kind of Googled the heck out of places to be and like what to do. And I found Greenville and was kind of like, you know what, this place seems pretty cool. And we came to visit, uh, I think it was like a, around 4th of July. So it was over the summer and we just stayed for a couple days and we were kind of like, you know what, this place seems nice and exciting. And and then we ended up moving um, that Labor Day, like of that same year. So it was like a super fast process, but it was so exciting. And I've heard like from so many people, you know, like Greenville just draws in. Yeah. So much, like for whatever reason, it just draws in all of these people and everybody that I've met that have been from somewhere else before, like we were originally from Pennsylvania, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, like I just, I came here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We love it here. It's really been great. And um just very welcoming yeah but yeah it was like very similar situation so you you started your business while you were pregnant with your daughter or yes so we okay. had the two boys and then I was pregnant with Willow um and then I took some time off when I had her and um so actually from there um when I was first getting started I had met um, a friend of mine now, and she actually was my midwife. Um, but I was just going around meeting and networking with people. And, um, I actually, I had two hospital births and in Illinois, and I really didn't know anything about that was like the only choice really. And so, um, I ended up having a home birth with Willow and um and part part of that was because we didn't have any family around and i just wanted our families to be um or just because i wanted our kids to be around and i didn't want to have to try to figure out everything but then on the other side i also learned so much about pregnancy and delivery that um i just felt really comfortable with that situation so and um after that uh, i started back up and I started saying yes to more than I really could handle, and I ended up hiring somebody. So from there, I um, decided to kind of take a step back and not take a step back, but I um, stepped away from the clinical role of things about a year and a half ago, and I have just been focusing on the the business side of things, and um, we've been able to serve many more women in the upstate, which has been really awesome. That's great. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's been really cool. Like you said that you were experiencing yourself lower back pain during pregnancy. Is that kind of what really pushed you to do the work that you're doing now? Yeah, well, when I was, oh man, like 29 or 30 weeks pregnant with my first, I was about to go to actual continuing education with my manager then in Illinois. And I had bent over to give my cat some water. And I, like, I usually tell people like your back didn't really go out. It doesn't like just break, but, um, it went out like it was horrible and I couldn't really move well and, um, was so uncomfortable for that day during the course and could barely walk like the next week. Um, 
And so that was kind of like the start of things. And then I started having some SI joint issues. And, um, and so I remember going, what is SI joint? uh, Yes. Thank you. Sacroiliac joint. So that's where your sacrum and your pelvis come together. So in your back, so like you might feel like you have butt pain, like one-sided pain um, that can mostly be coming from your SI. Okay. Yes. So, um, so I remember going to my OB um, and I had sat up and I saw like a doming or like a pooch almost when I sat up and I asked my OB, I was like, is, I keep seeing this thing popping up in like the middle of my stomach. Is this normal? Like I showed her and um, she's like, oh yeah, that's fine. And like gave me a hand to sit up and that was all I heard about it. Um, and then as I, you know, started researching more and more, well actually, you know, backtracking a little bit more, um, I had always been interested in, um, after once I was pregnant, I swore I would never do women's health before just as a, a bad clinical experience, <laughs> um, not a bad clinical experience. It was just not something that I thought I wanted to dive into. So um, after being pregnant, though, with my first two, I had always had like more of an interest in women's health, but I just never took this next step to do it just because I was comfortable where I was at. and. Um, so yeah, and then when I started learning more about these things, I learned about diastasis rectus abdominis, which is the abdominal separation between your rectus abdominis, like your six pack abs. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what I had. And I wasn't told about it. And then learning more that back pain wasn't normal and that there are things that we can definitely do before pregnancy and during pregnancy, um, even after, obviously, but that there are a ton of things that we can do to help improve women's experience during pregnancy, and they don't have to be miserable. So that's kind of where all all began. Yeah, yeah. I think I had a little bit of that too, and it was kind of like that same situation. Like I would have trouble kind of sitting up, or like I would get that almost like a your stomach is coming to a point in the center. It all just kind of accumulates and and you get that weird little pooch like you were saying. And I had mentioned that to my doctor too. And I think they might've explained it a little bit, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, like this is okay. This is normal. Like, you know, it will go back or, or such. Like I, it wasn't something like, oh, you don't need to be concerned about this. And I think she had put, like two fingers kind of like in between my ab muscles. And she said like, if like she could fit that much in between there or, or wider, then it was like something to be concerned about. But since it was only kind of like one finger width, so I I don't know if that has any reference or relevance, but. Yeah. So with that, with like the diastasis rectus abdominis, like when you're testing for that, um, it really depends on three things. So the first thing is what you would be testing for is you would be checking for um, the distance between the your between one rectus and the other. So between one muscle and the other muscle. 
So you would have them laying down with their knees bent and you would have them slightly lift up your head. And so you'd be feeling what's that distance like. And so, yes, they usually go by two fingers. However, the next thing is you want to see what the what it feels like in between. So there's a sheath in between your linea alba. And so that is going to tell us like how thin or how thick that is. Like, is there tension there? And you want to see, does that tension feel like the tip of your nose? Like, is that firm? Or does it feel like your cheek? Is it soft and cushy? What you're looking for is that firm, like your the tip of your nose. You you want it to um, have good and good tension to generate good tension. Um, and then the next thing is function. So are you able to do the things that you're able, like wanting to be able to do? If you're not, um, then that's something that we would want to address. But if it's not um, if you're not limited at any, any, anything, or it's not really limiting your function, the way you exercise, um, I mean, it can affect your, how you're continuing to go about your life. Um, like if you're having low back pain, if you're having leaking or incontinence, if you're having pain with intercourse, like those are all things that can, um, stem from just having diastasis rectus abdominis. Okay. Oh, that's so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's so important to go check out a pelvic floor physical therapist so that they can do that for you. So is it kind of like, when would we recognize those things or when might be a good idea to kind of like reach out to a pelvic floor therapist? Sure. So, um, I would recommend anybody in, um, not just me, um, all pelvic floor therapists, you know, I believe would recommend that you're coming in during pregnancy. Um, even if there's not anything going on, it's not a bad idea. We have something in our clinic that is called birth ready and that prepares you for labor and delivery and just making sure that you have a good pregnancy overall. So that's something that might be something for someone that is not having any issues and they just want to make sure that um, they're well prepared and that nothing does go on. So um, we would see them like at the beginning of pregnancy, halfway through and towards the end of their pregnancy. And there's different things that we focus on on each of those sessions. Um, And then definitely after pregnancy. So, um, well, I guess even going back to pregnancy, if you're having any sort of pain, it really isn't normal during pregnancy or any time, even if you're not pregnant or anybody, it's not nor pain isn't normal. Pain is a symptom and it's letting you know that something's going on. And so um, if you start having some pain or um, you know, discomfort, you might, I mean, if you are having some discomforts, you might want to wait, you know, just a week or so and see how things are going. But if those things aren't improving, that's a time that you would want to um, give you know, your pelvic floor therapist a call and say, hey, you know, I'm having this issue or, um, or I'm noticing diastasis rectus abdominis, my belly button is hurting. That's a common thing that we're hearing. Or, you know, my pubic, my pubic area, they call it lightning crotch sometimes. Um, like that's really bothering me. Those are all things that we can help you with. So if you, you know, going from sitting to standing, um, you know, having a hard time sleeping, that sort of thing. Um, we can help with those things and 
um, with diastasis rectus abdominis, that is actually normal during your third pregnant or third uh, trimester. Um, most women have a diastasis rectus abdominis because it's actually normal. Like when your body is expanding, when your belly is expanding, those muscles elongate, but then they also have to stretch out some. So if they didn't do that, then you would just essentially tear because um, they, you know, there wouldn't be any sort of cushion there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so your body is capable of doing those things. The one thing though, is if you're starting to have discomfort or you're noticing that it's very significant um, when you're moving, um, there are things that we can do to help you so that it doesn't get to the point of, you know, having a tear and you can have a better recovery postpartum. Yeah. So um, moving on to the postpartum side of things, we always recommend that women be seen after pregnancy, after delivery, so that we can assess their pelvic floor muscles and see how they're working, see how they're functioning. Um, And then also so that we are able to help them with different with different modifications, we can educate them and we can slowly return them to where they want to be and what they want to focus on. So it's always a great idea, even if your you know, doctor or midwife doesn't really recommend pelvic floor physical therapy after birth, actually other countries such as France, they actually put you right into physical therapy because they know that they're going to save women from having issues later on down the road. And then what about if you, like, I mean, for me, for example, I have not been to pelvic floor therapy at all in my life. So, you know, I missed out on that during pregnancy and now over a year postpartum, you know, what, what kind of can be addressed then or, you know, like how soon after, I guess, should you be going? And then if you are already past that point, is there hope for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for asking that because I think a lot of women, they ask, they are like, oh, well, I didn't know about that. And my youngest is five. Um, there's all, like, it's never too late to start. So postpartum, we can actually, we would recommend during the first two weeks that you rest. Um, Anywhere after the third week of postpartum, we can have you come in. We don't typically do an internal examination until around that six-week point, just so that we can make sure that everything is healed. Um, But there are several things that we can do outside of that um, before that six weeks so that we can help you. So things like working on gently contracting and relaxing your pelvic floor muscles, learning how to breathe correctly and things like that. But afterwards, so like you say, you're you're a year out postpartum. Well, there are several things that we can do. Even if you're not having any issues, I still would recommend just coming in and seeing what do, what does your pelvic floor look like? And so even if you're not having any issues, if you're having a, if you have a weak pelvic floor and you're not breathing optimally, those patterns they can actually um, they can actually become the norm, and so they're actually setting you up for future problems down the road. 
So it's almost like if you were to go to get, say you tore your ACL and you went and had surgery to repair your ACL. And the doctor was like, you know what, just go ahead and just go home. You're fine. Just do work on these, these exercises. Well, first off, your knee would not function well at all. Um, you've lost so much muscle and you, there would be, uh, you decrease muscle. You wouldn't have good balance. Think about that for pregnancy. So you carry a baby for around most of the time, around nine months, and your weight changes, your center of mass is changing, you're walking with increased balance. So you're walking with your feet spread apart more. Um, You're putting more stress on your chest just as your breasts are large and you're not using your glutes as much. So then you go in, and so then you develop all of these other compensations to compensate for this baby that's inside of you. Well, after you have your baby, then um, I know that we're, we were going to maybe talk about this too, but the difference between vaginal birth and C-sections, well, after you deliver, whether or not vaginally or cesarean, it's still really important because there are still those physical changes that are happening. So um, that, like I said, going back to like, if you were to come in, we would be looking at how is your pelvic floor functioning? How do you move in general? Like, what does your squat look like? Even if you're not lifting weights, um, you're squatting daily, you're picking up your kids daily, you're, uh, you know, doing a whole, you know, you have to move throughout the day. And so we would be looking at the whole body as an entirety, not just at the pelvic floor. Got you. Yeah, because that is something that, you know, I'm kind of curious. I had a cesarean. So, you know, I think sometimes I've kind of disregard things that have to do, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I didn't have a vaginal birth. So, you know, like none of that changed. But, you know, I still had to carry a baby for nine months and there was still a lot of things going on with my pelvic floor and my body in general that you know, might not have been the day of the birth, but. (laughs) Well, and it also, it also really depends too on, you know, some people have scheduled C-sections, but then there are women that have emergency C-sections. So Mm -hmm. they might've been in labor and pushed for several hours before they even did this. So, um, you know, they might have some tearing, they might have some prolapse going on. And those are all things that we'd want to address. And especially, I highly recommend women that have had cesareans to come in because then there's that scar tissue that can develop after the cesarean. And that can actually lead to other things like low back pain and incontinence and pain with intercourse because that scar tissue can start to adhere down to um, the other muscles and the organs. And so that can actually affect some of those other issues that people might be having. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I was still in labor for almost 24. Well, actually, I guess it was like over 24 hours technically. Um, so, I mean, all of that was still, Rosie was still pushing down. She was still trying to make her way out. Right. Um, and you so, know, so. Right. So, there's uh, several things that, you know, that were going on and your, 
your pelvic floor muscles stretch significantly beyond what they're supposed to. So it would almost be like taking your arm and if it, your arm was straight and then even hyperextending your elbow and like lengthening out your biceps really far and then being like, oh, you're good to go. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's the reason why we want to help women with, you know, rehabilitate after postpartum because it's a lot of, a lot on your body. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if it's just, I'm becoming more aware of it and I want to know more about this stuff or just in general, more people are becoming aware of it and women's health in general is becoming more evolved that I think a lot of the times there's just so much out there that you don't even know about or never even heard about. Like I don't think any of my aunts or my mother-in-law or anything really took part in pelvic floor therapy, let alone like would recommend it. So unless a friend or or someone that you know, who has recently been through this, there's not really much talk about it, or at least like, that's what I found in my experience. I think with all of this, there's so much that I'm looking to uncover and know more about because I don't feel like, I think if I didn't ask the information wouldn't be there, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think I you're exactly right because, I mean, my mom definitely never said anything about that. But when I was, I mean, what, Hudson's seven and a half years old, and with both of my children, no one, I mean, even after having my third um you know, I wasn't recommended to have pelvic floor physical therapy, but at the time of my third, I, I was a pelvic floor physical therapist. So like I already knew, and th- so that wasn't recommended to me, even though like I still went. Um, but with my first two, nothing was ever said. Um, I actually had a friend that was pel- a pelvic floor physical therapist, but um, it just wasn't, it's not something that is is brought up unless typically there's something going on. And even sometimes when someone is having issues like with incontinence or pelvic pain or something, they're just given just things like, oh, well, just try to relax more or like just give it some time or, you know, just do your Kegels. Well, all of that information is misleading and it's not beneficial to the woman at all. And so what's best would be if every single OBGYN midwife um, any sort of practitioner that way, if somebody has had a child, they're recommending that um, because it's going to be so much better off and women are going to feel so much better about their bodies and so much more confident um, because women are walking around and having pain with sexual activity and they're leaking when they're laughing with their friends or when they're exercising. And it's they're thinking that that's, that there either is something wrong with their body and they're just having to live with it, or they're thinking like, oh, one of my friends has this and so it's normal. And so they don't seek out the help because they just don't know. And so it's not their, it's not anybody's fault. It's just the education. They haven't received that education yet. Yeah. I think that's like a very common trend that I'm kind of learning and understanding. You know, somebody else might have that same problem but because you find somebody else who's dealing with it maybe like uh 
incorrectly, you know, you're like, oh, well, well, they, they were fine. Like they just, they've been coping with it. You know, they didn't do anything and, and they're okay. So then we like understand it to be normal. Right. Yes. Yeah. Actually the leading cause of an assisted or the second leading cause of a assisted living home is, or a, like a nursing home is incontinence. So that just kind of goes to show you, like, once you start having those issues, it doesn't just get better overnight. Like you actually have to have a professional help you with that issue because it's not just going to stop happening. So um, we're trying to help people from having bladder surgeries and um, from having, like prevent them from having to use medication or prevent them from having surgeries. Or even, you know, like just as someone is having uh, urge incontinence, like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom every 30 minutes and my bladder is still full or, you know, or I wake up two to four times a night. Um, those things, those aren't normal. And those are things that can be helped. What would be a normal range? And then where would you kind of be like, oh, maybe this isn't, this isn't, and I don't want to say like not normal, but like, when is it kind of like a point that you should question? Right. So if you're finding yourself having to go to the bathroom like all the time, or if you're, you know, have you ever had it where you pull up to the, to your house and you either like take your key out of the car, you go to like grab the handle, you're like, oh gosh, I got to go to the bathroom, you know? Um, so those sorts of things, those are things that we can help with. Um, so if you're experiencing like, I've got to go, I got to go right now or else I'm going to pee my pants. Like that's something that's not normal um, because your, your brain should just automatically tell you like, it should already have kind of a sensor. Like I've got to the ba- go to the bathroom and you should be able to hold that. Um, so like during the night, if you are going to the bathroom more than two times or two times or more a night, that's something that, um, shouldn't be happening. Like you should be able to get a full night's rest, um, before, like you shouldn't be waking up every single night, but I mean, if you're waking up one time a night and every once in a while, um, maybe you just drink a whole bunch to drink, but at our age, we really shouldn't be getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And this is not during pregnancy. Yeah. So yes, not during pregnancy. Because so, <laughs> I know I was getting up a lot. Yes. During, during pregnancy, like you might be having more frequent trips to the bathroom. Um, obviously, at the very beginning of pregnancy, hormonal changes. At the end of the pregnancy, hormonal changes. But like once you get up to like that end of second trimester, third trimester, that baby's going to be pressing on your bladder more. But if you're having to get up like five, six times, you know what I mean? Like if you're having to get up a lot, then that's definitely something that, so what it really ends up being is more of a habitual thing. So we can help you to identify, you know, food, food triggers that could be causing that we could be seeing, we could be seeing things like you're drinking too much during the day, or maybe you're drinking too less during the day. If you drink too less, um, too little, then you are increasing your con- your urinary concentration or your uh, urine concentration. And so that can actually be a bladder irritant. So there are a lot of factors that go into this. And so, you know, a, having a bladder bowel 
diary um, is really important as well with that. And what kind of things, if we were to have a bladder diary, what kind of things would we be tracking? Yeah, so we would be looking at your what you're eating, what you're drinking, and we would be looking at what times you're doing those. We'd look at how much you actually are drinking. So we'd want to know, like, did you have an eight ounce cup of water or did you have two ounces to drink? So then we're also looking at um, how much, when you went to the bathroom, did you have any urge to go at that time? Or did you just go to the bathroom because you like had to go? Um, and then we'd also be looking at like how much did you go to the bathroom during those times? So was it just a little bit or was it a lot each time? And we would be looking for, I believe those are the main things. So what you're eating, drinking, how often you're going to the bathroom. And so this would be taken throughout your day. Like you, we would do this over a three day period and then we would assess that. So are there certain foods or, or things that you can drink that can help repair your pelvic floor? Or is it just kind of more so looking at time and frequency? So that with that, we're looking more for what are some foods that may be triggering this? So we're looking at... Um, like we, I had one patient before that I looked at her bladder diary and she was drinking like 48 ounces or no, even less than that, probably like 20 something ounces a day. And she didn't really realize it, but all she was having was just coffee in the morning and caffeine is, uh, it can be a trigger and for the bladder. So it's not really most, it's not really as much the pelvic floor muscles as it is being the bladder irritant. So we're looking also at what else could you be eating? So are you eating enough fiber throughout your day? Like you may not be eating very much throughout your day. Um, so you might be getting constipated. So that could actually, if you think about your pelvis as a bowl and you've got your, so your pelvic floor muscles are on the bottom, they act like a hammock. So they're holding up your pelvic floor or your pelvic organ. So you've got your bladder, you've got your um, you've got your rectum behind it. So like if you have constipation and it's pushing on your bladder, then that can make you have to go to the bathroom more as well. So um, if we're seeing that you're drinking lemonade and having um, a glass of wine all the time, or you're drinking a lot of citrus stuff or tomatoes and um, chocolate. So those are things that can actually be an irritant to your bladder. So so that's why it's very, I mean, we really do, it's very, very thorough what we're doing here to make sure that everything is taken into account. So it may not be just stemming from your pelvic floor. There are so many other components that factor in. It's not really that one size fits all. What can I do? You know, I mean, there are things that we can definitely do to uh, help, but at the same time, when you're coming to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, you know, it's a, it's a well-rounded assessment and with special tests to figure out what is that best plan that is, what's it going, what is that going to look like to meet your needs and what you want to accomplish out of it? I think there's just, you know, again, like there's just so much stuff that we're not really kind of like 
educated on I mean like you work in this you know so much about it so it's kind of like well duh like you know what I mean like obviously but you know I've never been informed about these things I've, I've never kind of looked into it until like now I'm I'm just becoming curious about you know how can I change things for the next baby or even just like no baby just me as a person like like any woman, you know, whether it, it's before, or after, or during, whatever. But, um, you know, I think it's just really interesting to kind of learn about these things. Yeah. Well, what you, what you just said, it made me think about something that I've heard before from other women is they'll have their baby, have a baby, and then they're like, well, I want to have another baby. So, I might as well just keep going. And then after my last baby, then I'll take care of myself. And that is not a good idea. Um, The better, the more that you can take care of yourself and the more that you can address these things from the very beginning, you're going to have such a better recovery with with every subsequent pregnancy and postpartum than if you were to go and have, you know, I've, We've had women here that have had seven children. And, but like, there's some women that are like, you know, after this baby, it's my fourth, I'm going to come in. And so we really, really recommend that women do come in before or after each pregnancy because every pregnancy and every delivery is so different. And it's, it's almost like you're having, um, you're not having a surgery. Well, with a cesarean, you're having a surgery, but it's like you're doing a huge number to your body. And so the best thing to do is, you know, you take care of your baby and let us take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like something that I'm like, you know, trying to, I guess, focus on mostly because I think a lot of the times we get a whole bunch of information on, baby and what we can do for baby and things like that. And we kind of leave ourselves on the back burner or, or, you know, again, it's like, Oh, well, I'll just wait until I'm completely done having kids or maybe once they get older or something like that, you know, we kind of don't focus on ourselves. And I feel like I've been very compelled to not lose myself because I want to be the best version of me so that I can be better for my children and for my family, everybody in general, you know? And I think I saw myself slipping away and I'm just like so ready to grasp all that I can so that I don't lose myself, but you know, I'm not going to ever go back to who I was before necessarily, but I'm, I'm, going to be this new version of myself and and make sure that all all my boxes are checked <laughs> and I'm doing as much as I can, you know. Yeah, I love that and I that's so great to have that mentality and um like you said you, you want to go to the best version of yourself and you know some some women are like, "Oh, well, I'm just fine. Like this is just, you know, this is just how it is, but it really doesn't have to be that way. Um, and there are th- so many things that, you know, they can help you. And, you know, we've, 
we've had a lot of women come in from doing certain programs and there are so many amazing programs out there. Um, so that's something that I would kind of like to touch on too, just after talking what you just said too, is there are so many amazing programs that are really beneficial and are helpful. I would really still recommend just coming in at least for at least one visit with a pelvic floor physical therapist so you can get somebody to look look at you from a fresh perspective and right in front of you and can actually assess those pelvic floor muscles. We actually have something called a real-time ultrasound machine too. So if somebody doesn't want to have a pelvic floor muscle exam, we can actually get like a good idea of what um, their muscles look like on real time. So they would be looking at the screen at the same time, seeing their muscles. And we're looking for like, are they able to do what they're able to do? Um, But we've also had women that have done programs and they come in and they like the programs, but they aren't getting that attention, like that detailed and specific attention that they need and they want because it's not specifically just for them. Yeah, I think just like, you know, finding out as much as I can so that I can relay that information to other women is just a huge I think I think just being like one step ahead like so to speak or like having that experience like oh yeah like I've seen that I've been there I'm familiar with this I think is just so valuable in itself I completely agree I've just I've enjoyed it a lot and I think I think I've been you know going through so much and like finding people like you who are so knowledgeable in different topics, you know, we can't be experts in everything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We can find people that are and, and use their knowledge to help ourselves. Exactly. And that's, that's why it's good to have, you know, connections with so many other people because we want a well-rounded care for you. Like, we don't, we're not saying that we are like, we take care of every single thing. Like we refer to counselors and mental health practitioners, you know, we um, refer to um, dietitians and um, health, health coaches, nutritionists, and, you know, like we refer um, out to, you know, OBs and neurologists and um, orthopedic surgeons and, you know, things like that. And so it's, it's very important to have that well-rounded care because you want to you want to make sure that everything is covered um, when necessary. Yeah, and I I really like the idea of kind of like being able to create that that care. I guess to take through you in any in any aspect. I think a lot of the times we think you know you need all that attention when you're pregnant and you know, when you're going through something, but to make sure that you're kind of like checking in with those things, even after the fact. Right. Um, And taking that kind of like precaution, I guess so you would like um, not waiting until something arises, I guess, (laughs) or like waiting until the next baby or, or waiting until after the next baby. (laughs) proactive not reactive 
Yeah. No, did you have any other specific topics that you want to cover or talk about or I think we covered a lot. We did. Um, is there anything in particular that you wanted to know about or talk about? You know, maybe if like we're looking to schedule an appointment or like we haven't had our first appointment, um, what are some things that we can kind of implement into our day now or prepare us or what is that first appointment kind of going to look like? Yeah. So the first appointment is going to look like you are just going to be coming in and we're really going to just assess your symptoms. So we will be taking a thorough history, asking you a lot of questions, and we want you to do the same. We really listen and try to make the most out of every appointment and just to really figure out what is going on and what is the, you know, either root cause of what you have going on or what is it that you do now or you want to be able to do that we can help you with. So then we'll do a physical examination and some special tests to either rule out or rule in what is going on. And so the physical examination can be anything from a posture exam, a movement assessment, a pelvic floor muscle internal examination. And so I feel like most people want to know, like, what is that pelvic floor muscle? Like, what does that pelvic floor exam look like? Yeah. So it looks a lot different than if you were to just go to your doctor and get a pelvic floor examination because there aren't any metal tools or uh, anything like that. And so um, what we do is uh, I'll just kind of walk you through exactly what we do. And um, so the first thing that we're going to be assessing for is, well, first, we always ask for your consent to do an internal examination. And it's in a very intimate room um, and everything is um, just very comfortable for you. You have a sheet draped over you. And so you would um, keep everything on except for your underwear and your pants. And so then we would be looking at the outside. And so everything, like everything on the outside is called your vulva. So that we would be looking at your urethra, we'd be looking at your clitoris, we'd be looking at your, uh, like your skin, the labia on each side. And we're really looking at like, what does your skin look like? What is, are you able to, when you do a pelvic floor muscle contraction, like what does that look like? Um, we're looking for certain factors, like can they do this or can they not do it? We ask you to cough um, because we're looking to see how things move and or don't move. And so um, we're really just looking at that part. And we're also looking for sensation and are you able to feel certain things or is, is it too much? Because we get a lot of women with pelvic pain that come in. And so um, they might have just pelvic pain all the time. And so, you know, some people, you don't know, you don't know you have it until you have it. Um, and so, but it's just very, very hypersensitive even. And so, so, you know, that pelvic exam might just look just like that. Like we may not go anywhere beyond that and just really focus on some other fact, some other things to work on. So the internal examination, we start off by, um, by just inserting just one single digit, just with like the very point of our finger. And so 
we're always asking you like how do things feel and we're going to be assessing your how you're are you able to relax your muscles are you able to contract them and so we only go in as far as the patient feels comfortable and if they're not having any pain if somebody is having pain then we'll do some things that we can help them to either to relax their muscles and to decrease their pain or we may not just go in as far so we are assessing the three different levels of your pelvic floor muscles so there's not just like these are just your pelvic floor muscles there's three different levels to them so we're going to be seeing like are you able to contract and relax and um, we might also check for prolapse as well so um, once we're finished with the pelvic floor examination we um, step out of the room so that the patient can you know they can clean up and then we come back in and we let them know our findings that is like so helpful and so good because I think like a lot of the times like people are are sort of like well what are they going to do what's going to happen and um, you know kind of explaining that and preparing people for those situations is is definitely helpful yeah I think some people um, they're just kind of wondering about that but then we also are like have people calling and they'll say ask about the pelvic floor exam they're like oh good I'm so, like I I want someone to look and see what it looks like yeah that's true too you know I think like a lot of the times like I mean majority of the time things are going to change like after birth so yeah so I think also another thing kind of going back to like what are some things to like just to if you know for just pelvic floor in general, or just to make sure that um, things are, you know, staying, I guess, good and healthy. Um, one of the main things that we really teach women to do is breathing. And that just kind of goes back to, I mean, that's the very first thing that you do when you're born, you you breathe. And so, but when you're pregnant, things, a lot of things change because, um, you know, when you're pregnant, everything is kind of pushing up into your rib cage, into your diaphragm. So your diaphragm's not a doesn't function really as it normally would, and your abdominals aren't. So one of the main things that we teach is breathing from the very beginning, and um, like just coming from the core. Your core is composed of four different components, and that's your diaphragm, your pelvic floor, your transverse abdominis, which are your innermost abdominal muscles. And then your multifidus muscles, which are little muscles along your spine. And so what we teach is when you are breathing in or inhaling, your diaphragm lowers. So your pelvic floor should actually lower as well and relax. And then as you exhale, your diaphragm comes up and your pelvic floor should come up and engage as well. So everything goes back to breathing. So if you're if you have leaking or incontinence, um, or if you're having pain with intercourse or back pain or um, pain with sexual activity, like those are all things that we start with breathing um, because we want to make sure that we're able to teach teach you to relax the pelvic floor before you actually contract it. Some some women, a lot of women actually, the reason why they're having issues is because they're tight and they're not able to fully relax their pelvic floor muscles. And that's why doing Kegels or, you know, um, like holding it even tighter, that 
is actually counterintuitive and um, is not helpful for somebody. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's very specific, like person to person. So like maybe something that works for one person worked for them, but like not until you get your own self-evaluation is it is it necessarily something that's going to be beneficial for you exactly yeah like if yeah if you have low back pain and um and i have back pain what's causing my back pain would be different than your back pain and so we might have complete like they might be similar but it still would be completely different and individualized from what we do so you know a lot of women are like what and that's why kind of going back to the programs like some are, um, like I said, they're very, very good. However, they're not tailored to that specific person. So um, they're not able to have someone's eyes on them saying like, oh, like, yes, these exercises are fine to do, but there are other things that we can do, um, like especially with women coming in for incontinence or diastasis rectus abdominis, everybody looks so different. And that's why it's so important to there are so many different links that would create that program for you. Yeah, I think it was really, really helpful and like so informative. So I thank you so much for that. Yeah. And then um, obviously like you're in the Greenville area. So one, tell us how we can kind of reach out to you and, and find you. And then also if we are not in Greenville, how can we look into finding somebody that might be able to help us with some of these issues. Yeah. So you can find us. Um, our clinic is Body Works Women's Health and Wellness. We are located in Greer, South Carolina on the corner of 14 and Batesville. And you can find us on our website, which is www.bodyworks-physicaltherapy.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook, and those links are at bodyworks pt.llc. You can either call us or email us. And if you are looking for a physical therapist or pelvic floor physical therapist and you're not in the Greenville area, um, you can either Google, you know, a pelvic floor physical therapist near you. You can, there's something called pelvicrehab.com. And, or you can even just call Body Works and we can also help you. We have a lot of connections. And so um, sometimes just calling us and saying, hey, I don't live here, but do you know of anybody? Um, we actually also do telehealth. So if you are in South Carolina and you're not in the Greenville area, we can also um, do telehealth with you as well. Yeah, well, thank you so much for all of this. And I think it was super informative and very, very helpful. So I appreciate you spending the time to fill us in on all these details. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much again for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you and um, sharing that information. Well, this wraps up yet another episode of Entering Motherhood. I hope that you have found this episode helpful, and if you liked it, please share it with others who might also benefit from this information. If there's anything that you'd like to know more about, or maybe you know someone who'd like to be on the show, please visit my website, enteringmotherhood.com. I'm so thrilled to be going on this journey with you and getting the amazing opportunity to help moms during this postpartum experience. 